Hello and welcome to another edition of the New Dominion Podcast. I'm Sean Kenny with the Republican Standard. Sitting across from me is Marty Davis with F2S, who very nearly got me fired from my own show, talking to Megan and making her sound like she was incredible, which of course she was, and like, you know, trying to replace me. I it's fine. How was the, how was the beach? Uh, I am sitting here in my beach pants and my beach shirt and my beach hat and my sunglasses, and I'm still at the beach. We had a great time. <laughs> uh, I am up to my eyeballs in shrimp and crab uh, and and lobster, which we just ate ad nauseum and spent great time with my uh, son, who's stationed down at Lejeune. Excellent. I uh, had a great day with him and a great couple days with him and our and our new granddaughter and. Um, it was a lot of fun, um, and uh, I'm glad to be back here with you tonight, Sean. I love Megan; she does a great job. But um, you know, you you were you were sorely missed. We're glad you're back from vacation, uh, and uh, glad that you're up and healthy again this week. So it's great to have you back. Yeah, I wasn't eating shrimp. You don't do that in the middle of Missouri. I mean, the first <laughs> off, it's ill-advised. Second, <laughs> like it's the middle of a continent. Don't eat seafood in the middle of a continent. But uh, no, family's doing great out there. It's glad to see everybody, and we're back in the saddle. Virginia is still. Uh, the mess it always is. Um, we had the new JLARC report come out on public education. Yes, we did. Um, you know, so there was a lot of, you know, some, everybody's kind of flipping through the 160 odd pages in that report. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, we're already in the middle of campaign season. We've got 12 targeted races in the house. We've got another five or six in the state Senate. So it's going to be a fun 2023. That's for sure. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be issues based rather than nonsense based yeah right? well good luck with that i was at the uh <laughs> i was at the democrats unity event last night at rebellion uh where listen i've listened to a lot of political speeches in my life and i like good political speech and there is there were some good speeches there um and i will say this joshua cole who i hope we have on this show the man can give a speech so uh, right. the man can give a speech uh i'll tell you that no matter what you may feel about him politically the man can give a speech. Sure. Um, of course, he's facing off against Lee Peters. He in, is facing Lee Peters. Yep. Who's uh, another one who can also give a speech. So hopefully yep. we get two great speeches out of this guy. I would love that. That's a good debate option. That we need to get a, that on the table. Let's see if you and I can get them uh, to the table and yeah. get them debating. I yeah. think that'd be a great one. Uh, but then, you know, we had all the school board members uh, from the Democratic side there last night. Um, ben Litchfield uh, was there uh, throwing his support behind Joel Griffin. Uh, Joel uh, was sounding like he's getting his sea legs. You know, he's getting into campaign mode. He's ready to go. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting race. It's going to be fun to cover, fun to write about. Um Friday mornings up to us. It's all going to be all about it. So, so the Democrats, so the big narrative, the Democrats are going to be united, at least in the Fredericksburg area moving forward. It, you know, it looks that way. I mean, early on after the uh, primary, I wrote that, uh, you know, I really felt that Tara Durant has the leg up. And, uh, I think that's probably still true. Probably so. Uh, but, um, I was, um, I've not seen Democrats in this area as united as I saw them the other night. Um, you know, We'll see how that holds over the course of the campaign. It's a sure. long time to November, but there was there was real energy there that I've not seen in a while. Uh, but I will also say and the thing to keep in mind is there was a lot of energy in this primary system, and turnout on the Democratic side was abysmal. Yes. So you know we'll see we'll see what happens. We'll see see how things turn. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's it'll be interesting because the Republicans have their own game too. They're already starting to define candidates. They came out with a half million ad buy today, as a matter of fact. And then on top of it, they're breaking out the new uh, GOTV, which is something that Republicans traditionally have been terrible at in Virginia. Um, and Democrats are just experts at it. Whatever the theoretical maximum is, the Democrats have it figured out. And so that sort of dynamic plus Youngkin's new numbers, $5.7 million in the pack, the most ever raised by a governor in Virginia history. Um it's going to be wild. <laughs> it's going to be wild, and a good chunk of that 5.7 is going to find its way into the races here in Virginia because this is going to be an important area. More into the back pocket of consultants. So. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so tonight we have an invited guest, Marty. I'd actually, I, I know this invited guest because she's good friends with my family. This is great. And I didn't know this before she came here, but um, this is awesome. Um, so uh, please introduce our guest. So I am, it is my distinct honor to welcome Ms. Marcy Catlett, who is superintendent of Fredericksburg City Public Schools, uh, to our studio tonight in front of our mics. Uh, and we are looking forward to this conversation. Marcy, thanks so much for coming and spending some time with us tonight. Well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, Marley and Sean, and it is special that I looked in your eyes and I could say some, for some reason, I think I know that gentleman. And it was so good to make the connection that I'd worked previously with your grandmother and, um, and what great relationship we had. So yeah. the vibes are already, it's already, already awesome. Good. This yes, is great. Yeah. And, and yeah, my grandmother's just, I mean, yeah, she loved the people she worked with and loved uh, Fredericksburg city public schools. Um, and just the community there. And it's, it's something really special to be a part of. And, um, to have somebody like you in charge of it, it's just like, like there, there is a cosmic justice in the world. That's, that's phenomenal. I'm, I'm so like thankful to make that connection and know that it's in good hands. Well, and you know, I view it that way as well, that it's been a blessing to be mm-hmm. able to culminate my career, um, in this role. This will be my 42nd year in education. I, um, was born, raised, and educated right here in the city and went off to um, college, you know, did all that and came home to teach in 1981 um, at Walker Grant. So I've come full circle now that the school board office is located at the same spot where I attended middle school and then worked as a sixth grade teacher oh, wow. in the middle school. And now the offices are there at um, the original Walker Grant site. So it's really um, quite an honor and privilege. And I'm humbled by uh, being able to lead and serve um, this fine community and to get the support that I do in terms of folks understanding um, how tough the work is. And because of that, you have to love it. Um, you can't fake it. It's not the type of job folks say, why in the world would you want to be a superintendent? You know, and I, I feel like, um, my entire career has prepared me for, uh, the position now and, um, things have aligned and we're doing the best job we can do every single day. That's so true. Marcy, let me, let me ask you a question here about that. So one, you are unique in that you were born here, raised here, went to school here, worked in the school system. Now you lead that school system. That's a unique position to be. It doesn't happen to a lot of people. Uh, so you're fortunate in that regard. Uh, you know, but also, uh, you, you talked about it's a tough job, right? Um, you and I have known each other now for, for a few years. Um, you have sat for interviews for me on a number of occasions. You've made your staff available to me on a number of occasions, which I've always appreciated. And one of the things that I've admired about you over the years is that um, 
your transparency, how open you are about things. Uh, the city schools have had a rough run of late. You have never backed down from that. You have never run away from that. Um, you have always been out front. Uh, one of the things that's most impressed me in the last year or so has been this superintendent's roundtable that you put together. And I showed up, I think it's to the second one that you put together. And I was absolutely blown away, not just by the number of people in that room, but the caliber of people in that room who are actively working as a community to improve this school system. And uh, it's, you know, in, in this, in these wars that we see breaking out around the country over schools, pitting parents against teachers, against administrators, against this group, against that group, you've really got something special going on here in Pittsburgh. They, the kind of willingness of the community to pull together. That's a real tribute to you and your staff and the work that you do. Can you talk a little bit about that roundtable and how that come together and how that's pushing things forward? Of course. Um, and first of all, I um, am very clear in that it takes teamwork. Nothing beats a team. And I say that all of the time um, in terms of I can't do the work by myself. It's not this kind of um, job. It's a people business. And with that, um, we pull together and collaborate and put great minds at the table and make decisions. And that's exactly how the round table transformed. Um, I wanted advisory groups. We always already had the employee advisory group where I meet monthly with the um, executive team and we have representatives from each school and each department. And it's kind of like Russian roulette because you don't know what type of questions are coming initially, but we've kind of changed that now, the system, but over the 40 years that I've been involved in the school system, that's how it worked. And then you take division questions and you try to answer and take recommendations and, and fix that. So we already had the employee advisory. So the next level would be parent family advisory. So we hadn't had that for 12 plus years. And I wanted to reestablish that because I wanted parents to be able to share their concerns, um, families and hear from them and have interaction with the staff. And so we reestablished that. So the next level then would be um, community. And with that, we thought, well, if we identify just pockets of people we will not benefit from the broad range of needs and issues and um, myths about what's in the schoolhouse in Fredericksburg. So um, Dr. Everhart, the deputy, said, uh, Marcy, how about if we restructure it to more of like a roundtable um, concept? And, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And if it's thematic in terms of themes that, best meet the needs of the community, then that would draw the community based on themes. So it would be so much more productive in terms of a wide scope of people. And you you know what happens, we have four a year. So if you can't make the one that we talked about career and tech, but you're really interested in parent um, involvement or um, the academics or teacher retention, then you sign up for the one that best meets what your interests are. And then we have Marty folks that come every time. <laughs> and then the, we culminated this year with our victory lap. 
where we had students and the big showcase of everything that had happened within those four. And then, of course, it didn't stop there. I have a student advisory where we are using the SCA leads um, to tap right in to our students. And I meet with them virtual uh, and with Dr. Eberhardt. And they share their concerns. Of course, it's cafeteria food and we were coming out of COVID and they didn't like the plastic and the way things were wrapped. And it was, you know, so we had BK, our lead um, food service director, and he heard their concerns. He put out a survey. So um, I want to hear from everybody, because if you don't know, if you aren't aware, how can you be responsive and make improvements if folks don't tell you? So um, you're exactly right. We have an open door policy, the real form of it. The schools belong to this community. The community belongs to the schools. And that's our philosophy in terms of come on in and help us. It, it takes a village. It takes a community. And it is the uniqueness of Fredericksburg. So we're into year two of our roundtables. And please, all of you all come in and see for yourself. And, you you know, you're exactly right. We have been benefited so much from that whole concept. That's great. So so we were talking a little bit earlier about you. So you're in Richmond the, the, today. Um, and uh, we're talking about a little bit about like, 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 um, school funding and things of that nature. Like the local budgets have to be set before school budgets can kind of set theirs. And then the Commonwealth of Virginia ends up setting its budget. And that tends to put local school districts in a bit of a limbo. Could you talk a little bit about that and maybe the present situation and what's happening in Richmond and give us a little insight? Well, you know, we've learned to just march right on because of what hasn't been, um, um, um because of the need for us to do what we need to do right um we've taken the stand of being resourceful in terms of when we feel like um things are pending or stagnant in terms of the urgency in um retaining staff because we're in a very um tough spot being northern virginia but really going south. Not, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because of that, I can tell you a couple of years ago, it may have been last year, you know, the years go so quickly. We were in fear of losing um, our teachers to um, Stafford, Northern Virginia. So we went to um, city council, um, Temple Rudy, and we met and we were really well together. We have a great relationship. And because he was experiencing the same thing with law enforcement agencies and all, he knew exactly what we were going through. So rather than um, have um, obstacles in the way, he immediately was able to help us get 10% raises for our teachers and it slowed down the flight. And some teachers returned to the city. All that to say, with this year, where there's been a delay and the um, skinny budget passed, but that really didn't help us. And we were afraid that the Northern Virginia schools were going to get their contracts out faster than we were. We appealed to city council again, and they helped us close that gap so that we could move May 1st. We were working on our contracts and moving along. So all that to say, um, we've not let that deter us or slow us down. We've just been able to, um, I call it distractors, and we don't get 
caught up in those. We try to find a creative way to keep going and doing what we need to do because right. every minute counts in terms of the work we do. Right. Mm-hmm. I know that um, we were talking a little bit earlier about JLARC and the study that came down there. Um, the recommendation for JLARC was a 15% increase in, in in public school funding. They didn't really say where, but it seems like they want that to be a Richmond responsibility. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read the report or the summary or any of it, but maybe in like an oblique way, um, talk to us about that, 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 that funding issue. It's like, or, or, or is, is it that public schools really just do need more money if we're going to be successful or is there something else nibbling at us? What are your Well, bottom line is we work? need salaries for teachers. Right. The, the school, you know, Virginia has high expectations. They have high qualifications for for teachers, um, and we um, the state pays poorly. You know, we're always in that thirty five to thirty eight percent of having the ability to pay, but they don't pay. So what that tells me about our teachers is that they're so committed and so um, devoted to teaching students and doing that great work that they're willing to do it in a state that puts real heavy pressures and expectations on them, and they know they're underpaid. So, you know, I wish that any, and this is a personal wish, you know, all of the initiatives, all of the special projects, just throw them aside and put money where we need to. And that is in helping our teachers feel valued and compensate them and, um, and treat them like professionals. But, um, you know, I've been known to be called Pollyanna in, that, <laughs> in terms of, I, yes, <laughs> you have to always have hope in terms of doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in time, someone will see the light in terms of, um, the transforming lives work we do. I call it really right next to preaching in terms of the calling. Mm-hmm. And um, we all should be in every um, position in the school division compensated for this 24-7 type of work we do sure, all the time. So, Marcy, I'm, I'm going to push back on that Pollyanna thing a little okay. bit. You've, uh, I, I, you've used that expression with me before in an interview, and I didn't like it then. It didn't okay. go down well with me now. I'm just picking <laughs> on you here a little bit. Uh, but one of the reasons I, I, I want to push back on that a little bit is, um, you know, Fredericksburg has been assailed for a while for its test scores. Uh, Now, I have written a lot about the problems with using test scores as a measure much of anything. Uh, Sean and I, we had this discussion a fair bit. Uh, But nonetheless, they're a political reality. We know that they're there. We know that people watch them. People who are Pollyannish do not do what you did. Um, You set your baseline And then you went through and you interviewed your teachers and asked them to tell you where they thought students were going to be, who was going to pass, who was going to fail, who was on the margin. And then you published in advance of the SOLs where you thought your schools were going to be. That takes a lot of courage. There's nothing Pollyannish about that. That is a gutsy move. And that's a move that you can make when you know what's going on in your buildings, with your administrators, with your teachers. You did that. And then when the raw data came out, uh, and we're still waiting on the final refined data, which will come out in August. But based on uh, the raw data that we have now, you folks almost down the line hit the numbers you thought you were going 
to hit. Talk a little bit about what it takes, you know, the, the power of that kind of transparency, the willingness to kind of put yourself out there. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what that's, what that's like, uh, both the, you know, the, 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 call it Pollyannish if you want, the confidence that you're going to get there, but also there's, there's gotta be some fear in that too, right? I mean, you're really putting your neck on a chopping block and, and yet you folks are doing it. Marty, with the board that we have that allows us to do what's right for children all of the time, that trusts our decisions, we work through things, we um, and give talking points and discuss pros and cons, and then they turn it over to us to do the work. They deserve that we're held accountable for the work that we're responsible to do. And accountability is, is everything in terms of getting results to move the academic achievement of students forward. I had the benefit and the experience of being in charge of the entire instructional program when I first went into central office. I was the DDOT um, instructional uh, professional development, every role that now maybe six or seven people are doing. And at that time, um, when the SOLs first started, you know what it was like. 98% of the schools failed. There were 2% passing. Um, it was, you know, wild political game to show shame to our school divisions in Virginia. Um, but because I was leading that process, I had to be the cheerleader behind what's wrong with our students mastering 80% of the content. Yes, there are going to be children that we know have been left behind and aren't being taught. You know, we need to be responsible for educating children. And with that comes accountability and, and results. And so having help lead that with principles single-handedly. I know about benchmarking and best practices and strategies to achieve what we're being measured by, wrong or right. I had to be the cheerleader in that because the state was, was they were holding us accountable. So um, we had to move the needle. And I watched it happen, helped it work. And Fredericksburg at one time was the only school that was accredited as a minority-majority school division. I lived during that time to watch that happen. So because of some situations, overcrowded elementary schools, um, a, a shift in our instructional platform, um, staff not being held accountable, I watched that too. And I watched the spiraling down of our school division prior to COVID. So signing up for the job, um, I knew what I, I knew where the skeletons were. <laughs> I knew what the deal was, right? So, and I knew that and still said, I love this division enough. I'm devoted enough. I still have enough energy in me at this age to help navigate and put the school at the level it could be one of the best in the state. We've got the potential for that, even with um, whatever forces that come and go, right? So 
I was all ready to go, you know, 2019 in the fall, you know, and folks that worked with me, staff that knew me, that had experienced those celebrations during that time, were ready to go too. But then COVID COVID happened. Yes. (laughs) And I mean, what an ordeal. Mm -hmm. But we pulled together. You're talking about teamwork and making life and death decisions every three weeks. I mean, I I look back and wonder how we even got over. I know, I know that's a gospel song, but so it's said, true. It's teamwork, right? Everybody pulls together and they get the job done. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, and it's almost like if you can get through that, you can get through anything in terms of two years of navigating that. So it's my philosophy, my um, leadership style to no surprises for the board. You know, I want them to know, to be aware, we own what the situation is and help us. That then allows or helps us gain the resources, the support, parent help. When they know, everybody knows the truth, all the stakeholders, then you either are in or you're not. And watch us work our magic in terms of making this work. So you're exactly right. We did that predicting in terms of, but what you do is you do accountability, accreditation processes, class by class by class. And then that floats up to the entire division. So that's where we got the data in terms of which children are good to go. We use the red, yellow, and green. You know, we want all the children functioning at the green level. Um, whether we do going to do with the yellow that we can move right where we want them to be and whether the major tier three interventions we're going to use to get those red tier children uh, that are getting those services where we want them to be. And if you publicly show it, we have to own it. And then we have to go to work to do what it is we need to do. So with that, you know, and it's going to take time. But you always tell me, I know folks around me, are not, they are bothered that because they always feel like I want it done now. But that's OK, because every minute counts. Every minute is a teachable moment. Um, teach your children like you do your own. Use those same practices and procedures. You're going to get some gains then. And then we were able out of the 38, so many of them, at least 28 plus some went of the scores have gone up. Some in double digits. You've seen the charts. We've, and we had a, a few maintain and a very few that decreased. And we could analyze why, you know, I don't want to be the, um, long-term subs. I don't want to go there to the whys. You know, it's a number of reasons, but only a few in terms of decreases. We didn't want to see any, but, you know, we are realistic in terms of the complication, the, how complex it is to do the work we're doing. Sure. Yeah. How, how bad, so let me ask this one. This one's a little bit of a fastball, but not, but like, how bad did COVID hurt the public school system, especially oh. in Fredericksburg. Cause you, you talked about like 2019. It's like, okay, we're ready. You're going to get out the gate. And then, you know, a hundred year pandemic hits. And then 2021, you're recovering from it. And you'd mentioned 2022 is almost like a baseline year. It but, is baseline. But it's like, but, but 
is it, you're still a little behind the curve. Like 2023 is going to be that baseline where it's like, okay, now we're going to, this is where we're getting back to the stuff. How bad did COVID really hurt in terms of like student outcomes, student expectations, all of those things. I mean, you, you were on the front lines. You could know better than most. Could you tell us? Well, um, Sean, I'll, I'll say that, um, They'll be writing about this 10 years from now. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. As heroes. Heroes well, but, uh, all. So. Yeah, but, but, but what's happened. And, um, of course, there's some good things that came out uh, out of it. We learned to do hybrid mm-hmm. teaching. Um, we learned how what we would have said, oh, we can't do this. It's going to take two years. We were able to do it in three weeks. You know, um, we were able to um, divide the city uh, into a Hugh Mercer K-5 and a Lafayette K-5 because we did quads when we had to bring the children back, um, the 50 percent back. So we divided the community to do the busing. Mm -hmm. So when it was time to do our two K-5 schools, Divine Intervention, William Street did that for us. Okay. So everyone north of William Street was a humor, so everyone south of William to Lafayette. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, and the yeah. demographics and the numbers worked out It just well. worked out. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to give you the positive first in terms of, so we can't ever say we can't do something because that proved that you can do when you have to do, you know. And we learned a lot of medical terms, you know. <laughs> so did we all. <laughs> yeah, we were doing, we were doing, there were days that's all we talked about were oh, wow. COVID-related issues. We had to. Yeah. So the, um, of course, the impact was um, the delay in learning, mm-hmm. especially for the younger children. The didn't, and generally the uh, virtual really did the damage in terms of um, their progress. Um, I'd say that uh, we, the social and emotional piece uh, and the behavior, once we feel like or we felt like we got through the medical managing, the children came back so different. Sure. Because they were a year and a half, two years behind. So I'm a middle school teacher by trade, sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Okay, I love middle school. So I would go over the Walker Grant and I'd watch the what sixth graders come down the stairway, bumping into each other, kind of real random. And I thought, hmm, these aren't sixth graders. These are fourth, fifth graders that need a single file line. So the procedures and structures that are in place for the years or half or two that they missed, they missed. So the developmental pieces that would have been uh, what you do as a fourth grader, what you do as a fifth grader, now you're a sixth grader, didn't happen. It's amazing all these little small things like you would never, I mean, normal people would never think about, but like the professionals do. And you just... Get it right. It's that's that's amazing. I that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So the twelfth graders weren't really ready for college. They were really tenth and eleventh graders. So the um, college they recognized the same difference. But our teaching staff wanted them to be the year that I'm trained to teach you, and that was a culture shock. 
And the state, of course, didn't give any grace in terms of the expectations for credibility, uh, accountability and assessment processes. So we had to just get in there and do what we needed to do to um, do the best we could do under the circumstances. The children, um, they, with fear comes anger sometimes. So after the two years of COVID management, because what I view it as, we already do a whole lot of everything in schools. We're our own community. You know, we educate, we um, counsel, we um, feed, we all those services. And then the layer of COVID made us health providers, health care providers. And now it's law enforcement because of the discipline, the um, think about grief and death when you're watching TV and they're counting the number of people that are dying every day and the impact that has not only on adults, but, but children too. So it was, they saw family members, you're afraid to be close. You know, it's complete opposite of what we're taught to do and be. So it, it's taken a real hard line on not all children, but certainly a large number of them. Do you think we've turned the corner on a lot of that? Well, I do, because um, what I was hoping is that they missed us so much that they wanted to come back, and this is going <laughs> to... Okay, here we go with the word I'm not going to say. <laughs> you know, come my- on, Pollyanna. <laughs> <laughs> so what I had hoped was that in that summer... Um, the parents would be so anxious to give us the children back and so ready for us to teach them mm-hmm. that they would be um, stronger as partners in the process. And we've seen some of that, and we need parents. That's the formula that works. Yeah. Yes, yeah. families with the student, with the schools. And then mm-hmm. if you the icing on the cake is community mm-hmm. and helping us do all of that. So it wasn't quite at the level... I wanted to see, but certainly a much better level. Um, parents, families get it now, sure. and they're uh, they give it's more grace in terms of what we're trying to do, um, more supportive, uh, responsive, and then into the school year, um, the children wanted to be back, mm-hmm. but at the same time. They came back with masks. They came back with distancing. They came back with those restricted pieces. And it's taken some time to the children that like that. You couldn't tell who who's under them. You know, (laughs) some took advantage of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and lots of emotional and social issues that um, being at home a longer time, sometimes all day, traumatic. Mm-hmm. what they live through. Sure. Some yeah. homes just aren't, right. yeah, yeah. So, conducive to much. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to minimize sure. the major impact it's had on all of us, um, but certainly the But it children. sounds like we've turned the corner, though. So yeah. like the, the upcoming school year is going to be an opportunity to really Definitely. shine, yeah, for a lot of Virginia schools. So that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. So you would mentioned 42 years in Fredericksburg Public Education. How has it changed from when you first walked through the doors in the 1980s to now? Well, when I first started teaching, um, the textbook was the pretty much the curriculum. Okay. So I could go 
chapter by chapter and teach the textbook. Um, there wasn't a necessarily state mandated curriculum. And um, more autonomy as a teacher, even though we work as a team, when I closed my door, I could do what I wanted to do as long as I was providing a high-quality experience for the students. That was in the 80s. And in middle school, you have to build relationships. And if you build strong relationships, the children will do whatever you want them to. I mean, they will... I. They could just twist a string all day if they like you. You know, they, <laughs> they, they, they really need folks that connect with them and love them and sure. they feel a relationship with, you know. I have um, former students, like an irate parent will call and they'll say, oh, is this Ms. Catlett? And I'll say, yes, and I'll hear the complaint and they'll go on and tell me. And then one of my former students say, oh, I loved your class. You took us to see Free Willy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The stories that they share about the experience of being in the class with you. And so then um, standards um, were on a list and you checked off that you mastered mm-hmm. them. The children mastered them, but not at the high level of the accountability system that the nation report of you remember, you know what I'm talking about, oh, the, right? And all those practices right, right, right. came into play to then um, hold us accountable or to make public schools look like they weren't performing sure. properly. It's whatever way you view it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because there were children that were being left behind in classrooms. There were gaps in instruction in terms of student groups. Um, so it was dependent on that teacher and the freedoms that you have as a teacher to make sure every single child in your classroom um, gets the t- proper education. And not all educators um, were doing that. So um, there needed to be some type of monitoring, managing, accountability in place system to make sure that children were meeting their needs. Also, um, now, I, mean, I was a traditional teacher with um, rows uh, of seats, boy, girl, alphabetical order. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I can remember names. Oh, gosh, I remember those days. Yes, <laughs> but, yes. But, you know, that's all good. You know, right. I um and um, not a lot of resources. You know, um, I remember using my own money to pay for a lot of things and mm-hmm. um, um, not always as student-centered as things, decisions. Um, and I don't think it felt more manager and then um, the division of the sure. admin and all, right? Yeah. And then um, things evolved and we figured out how the SOLs came in. But I had stopped teaching then, mm-hmm. um, but then managed that program sure. and then was in a position where I could say, don't spend your own money. We'll allot resources. I don't want to hear of any teacher buying. Their, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. And yeah. then supporting 
um, teachers through that tough time of getting some control over the mandates, the federal mandates and state mandates by providing them every resource that they needed to not have obstacles in terms of trying to get the work done sure. and coming up with creative resources and um, acceleration and remediation um, plans and programs mm -hmm. to assist with closing gaps. Sure. So that's what it felt like in the, I'm going to say, 90s, not, you know, 95 through that time. Mm -hmm. And um, then technology, right. um, which is wonderful in terms of, you know, You've got to um, get on board. I resisted a long time. <laughs> it felt like email just invaded my world. You know what I'm saying? And, right. Um, but the children, you have to change with the times. You know, I remember when we work on the go to testing online and I always wanted Fredericksburg to be on the cutting edge of product. So uh, the school counselors were resistant, uh, but I said, I'd buy you lunch and took them to Goochland. And they didn't even want to get out the van. They were so mad we were going to try it. But then we could brag about Fredericksburg being one of the first school divisions to do the testing online. Sure. So, you know, all types of transformations in terms. You have to because right. the children, new generation, different type of learning. Um, but the bottom line is educating children to the best manner way that we can right so if it's so it's like so like allowing teachers to be teachers versus like all the testing and state mandates and federal mandates and technology if, if i could give you a magic wand in fact marty's got one right there maybe not but if we could give you this magic wand and you could wave it over if there was just one thing you could change for the better or or fix like like something it's like whatever but one thing that you could do if you just walk down on richmond throw the gauntlet down say boom fix this thing what would it be? <laughs> Where's like the list? To, uh, <laughs> I'd like for every teacher to have an administrative assistant where they could have assistance with all of the clerical paperwork, you know, programming where they could just teach and yeah. take complete control of their classrooms and and empower students and educate them without the uh, subconscious extra type of do these that distract yeah. them. Yeah. Hmm. If I, you know, if I could relieve them of the pressures of the other stuff yeah. and just let them do their craft and trade at the highest level, you know, these gaps would clear up. Yeah, I, and I th I really liked uh, I really liked that because me growing up, I I was part of the I was a, a graduating class of two thousand four. We were the first class that had to pass our SOLs in order to graduate, and um, it had a negative effect on my class and in the teachers as well. Even to the point to where, um, like when I got my well, was like my second job, I was like waiting tables at. Um, Ruby Tuesdays and I ended up serving a table of teachers and they were talking about the impact of the SOL and how they felt that it also robbed them of their ability to teach children in a way that was uh, effective, informative, and consistent. And 
into and, and just being on the other side of it as someone that was kind of forced to be a part of this experiment, um, I believe it greatly failed me. Uh, a lot of people don't know of this about me, but, you know, I dropped out of high school and it was because the shift was so fast and it was so swift. There was no I, I could I could not keep up and I and I already even to this day I still deal with um, dyslexia and things like that and it's very hard and but you're but you have you're on this track where you have to learn so much stuff in a short amount of time it was still traditional seven period so I'm being slammed in every single period with a bunch of stuff that the teachers don't even really want to teach at least not in that not in that construction and and it was like I couldn't I couldn't keep going you know and so I had to I had to do what was best for me at the time, and it worked out. <laughs> you yeah, know, clearly, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm you know I'm, a, I'm in a good place in my life, and, and I worked really hard. I, re, I worked really hard to get here, but there, there that is always something that has really deeply hurt me. That this thing, this I, I felt like this arbitrary thing was done, and I was not given an opportunity to adjust. And teachers tried to do the best they could, and they tried to have like classes, but then, you know, those extra classes are doing something after school. They're trying to do all this time, but then those classes started to grow and more and more children were stepping up and it was overwhelming for them to triage those children. And and, and then, you know, and now here yeah. we are. And it was no metric of success or ability or, no. you know, a value of you as a person, right? Yeah. It was like just the, sort of, yeah. The first five years of that change of the, uh, of the SOLs, there was zero recourse for teachers and the students. And a lot of us had to educate ourselves at some point because the school system wasn't able to do it in a, you know, in an effective way. Now it's a little different because, you know, my daughter is going to that same high school and now they have like, you know, the block scheduling. So things are a little more spread out and teachers have more time to focus on important curriculum. But at the, but at, but at the time when I was going, it was impossible to do seven periods every day slam all this information and then at the end of the year it's like hey good luck yeah 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 out oh, so it sounds like we got a lot more work to do it's uh yeah it's the long and short of it so. yeah so but I, I appreciate your perspective and how you're trying to look at some of these systems and say hey is this like really working you know like you know, we need people like that so i appreciate that thank you and thank you for sharing so marcy we're we're it, i told you tom was going to fly didn't i um <laughs> And it's a great night when I don't run my mouth. And I haven't run my mouth a lot tonight. And that makes me feel good because you brought so much wonderful wisdom and knowledge and experience. And I think you've given our listeners a real insight into a couple of things uh, that are that I think have been lost in this public discourse uh, that we are currently in. Um, one is uh, the passion and the energy that administrators and teachers who do this work bring to the table. It's exhausting work. It's thankless work many times. Uh, and the and the great amount of care you've got to have for the people in your charge. Uh, but also, you know, on on your side of the table, um, you know, the pressures that you are under are remarkable. And most people would crumble under those pressures. You have risen um Time and time again, as I just learned tonight, you know, this is not your first time at a rodeo, right? Uh, you face these pressures your entire career. You've always risen to the, to the challenging. You've done a great job doing that. Uh, Fredericksburg is a, a very fortunate place. 
to have someone of your caliber leading these schools. And I um, uh, just want to say thank you for, for the incredible work that you do. Corey, thank you for sharing your story because I hope that our listeners will keep that in mind when they go into school boardrooms and they're in open conflict. And they, these are the stories they have to remember um, because these kinds of battles have real impact on students uh, that affect them for the rest of their lives. And uh, we can't afford to play around with these kinds of games. So that's my heavy talk for tonight. Um, uh, the repartee, um, so to speak. Uh, the <laughs> repartee. On the other side, uh, we do have that hardball question coming at you at the end here. And, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But before we hit you with it, Sean, we have a new thing in play. That's right. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, we have a school superintendent sitting right here who is – answering some questions that, that could be a little tough sometimes. Uh, I'm proud to say that in August, Dr. Thomas Taylor from Stafford County Schools is going to be in this very same hot seat uh, answering questions. There is one superintendent in this region who refuses to answer questions. Yeah, it's uh, been 31 days, Mark. So um, I know that you're listening. If you're not listening, then I know one of your aides are. Um, you know, it's time. I mean, this is, it's time. This is a good place to be. It's a good place to have the conversation. It's, you know, on the right and the left, but it's been 31 days. And I know that you have a policy where you say, at least in writing, that you're willing to sit and meet with anyone and interview anywhere. Um, that invitation is open and it is not in the spirit of malice. We're not trying to get you, but we do want to talk. And, um, I think that's good for the community, especially for the community that, uh, we're trying to lead. So, um, that invitation is there, um, and I hope it's accepted. Uh, I genuinely do. So, and I will second that. And I would love nothing more than to have an opportunity to talk, um, talk with Mark uh, or whoever he wants to send uh, to talk about what is happening, because the public has a right to know. And uh, all we want to do in this forum is provide them a forum to. Yeah. To explain. And free of polemic. It's, Just uh, like we've done here with uh, with Marcy tonight, uh, giving her room to explain what she does. And and uh, that's all we're about. At which the is end a of the heavy, day. heavy task, by the way. So it it's is not a heavy easy task. to run a school system. So. so now for the killer question. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Marcy, okay. what are you reading? All right. And I'm going to be completely transparent. Because that's my MO. That's been the, the MO of the evening. Right. So yes. Okay. Well, and because of all the wonderful things you said about me and the leadership and my team, which I appreciate, um, I'm going to go to what really sustains me. And that's my faith. And I give God the glory. So every morning I wake up and I do... Three inspirational books daily. You know how you have one every day. Well, they're really about five of them. And I do that every morning to get my day started. And then I have a grief book because, you know, I lost my husband in 2020. And then I just lost my mom at 100 in April. And so it's a grief book that was sent to me that I did the year of my husband's death. And I bought a copy for a friend, but the page was bent, so I didn't want to give it. So I took her that way. So I bought another one, and I um, 
am using it again this year. So that's what I do before I leave work for work. And then I have an inspirational book at work and I have these small cards that I slip in my pocket every day to be with me as I, to help God guide my steps. And I have three newspapers as well on my stand that I'll scan or try to read before I recycle them. And the plan was to read some summer, um, you know, like everybody's supposed to do a summer read. So the 1619 project is there. Oh, wow. And I've started a couple of pages, you know, um, and that's about it. Um, that's a everything. lot of reading, Ms. Catlin. Yeah, that's, but that's, that's a page, that's a page, a page, a page, a page. <laughs> <laughs> so that grounds me in strength and wisdom and um, direction. Sure. When when times get challenging, like they always do in this work, you can have a high moment um, that you're feeling, and then a call can come in two minutes later, and it's... Yeah. So when you're living like that, you have to really keep yourself grounded and focused and another day, hope and do your good work every day. Okay. That, that was, that's amazing. That was beautiful. Actually. It's a, uh, you know, they're, they're in a better place than we are as for sorry as, and sad as we feel, they feel more sorry for us. And, you know, it's my father passed away about two years ago. It's one of those, Consolations, at least as if I do what I'm supposed to do, and I know where my faith is placed. Um, one day I'll see him again if I'm if I'm a good man, and that's what gets me going. And you know, you're right; it comes and goes and ebbs. And um, you know, condolences for for your loss on both, but you know, we'll meet him again, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So, Marty, what are you reading? So, um, Wow, after all that. Just I'm, like that. Yeah, it's like, I'm, all right, uh, Marty. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to admit what I'm reading. But uh, I um, again, I just got back from the beach. I love the beach. My family and I love the beach. We try to go every year. Um, and uh, I'm fascinated by shipwrecks. Um, I actually spent uh, part of my vacation looking at an exhibit of the Queen Anne's Revenge, which was Blackbird. Black I, I missed the opportunity. Ship. You should have inserted a freelance star joke right there. Uh, you absolutely ah, should have. No, well, <laughs> um, so I, I got to see uh, a lot of the, uh, the exhibits that they're bringing up from uh, Blackbeard's pirate ship. Uh, and I picked up this book that was published originally in 1951 by the University of North Carolina Press called The Graveyard of the Atlantic, Shipwrecks of the North Carolina Coast by David Stick. Uh, among the many things that I have been learning that I had absolutely no idea about uh, was that the daughter of Aaron Burr uh, died in a wreck off of the Atlantic coast. Ooh. Huh. No idea. No hmm. idea, right? Uh, and so it's a fascinating look at all of these shipwrecks up and down. And, of course, North Carolina's coast is notorious. Uh, it's the graveyard of the Atlantic. And uh, uh, But I'm also uh, heartened by the, by the stories of the individuals on the shoreline and the incredible work that they did coming to aid these ships uh, so that when you look at the number of lives lost, what's actually shocking is that those numbers are not a whole lot higher than they really Oh, wow. It's incredible. Corey, what about you? Uh, no. Not no really. you're, still, <laughs> you're still reading that manual. Still reading that manual, 1970s baby. 1970s era, whatever he has. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 pre- yeah, pretty much. It's um, you know, moving into um a new a lot of new things. So a lot of what I'm reading is just trying to make sure that I'm bringing the right skills uh, to the situation. So it's a lot of research right now for me as I'm um, getting ready to um, score. Oops, that was a little out. Uh, score my um, my first movie and Whoa. and things like that as well. So that's coming down the pipe. So I'm just really trying to make sure I am ready to go when these when this stuff like kicks off. So I'm I'm super stoked. I'm really excited about it. But I'm also really scared at the same time. <laughs> well, all that work is really paying off because we benefit on this podcast from your extraordinary work, Corey. And uh, we appreciate everything that you put into it to make us sound a whole lot better than we really are. That takes a lot of work. It takes a <laughs> lot of work. And you do a great Corey's job like, you of have it. You have no idea. Yeah. yeah so, so speaking about technology, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> So that's about all the time we have tonight. Um, Sean, it's great seeing you back. Marcy, thank you so much again. Corey, great job on the mics and on the computer. Um, Until next week, this is Martin Davis with F2S. Sean Kenny with the Republican Standard. Uh, I like to think two of the most interesting things you can read in the state of Virginia right now. Um, Hope to see you all next week uh, and have a great evening.